this morning. It's on page 1011, I believe, if you would like to use a Bible from the church. There should be one in front of you. James chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. These are God's words for us this morning. And here's what God says. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. You may be seated. Father, thank you for your word, for there is no word like your word. It is eternal. It is true. It is forever settled in the heavens. It is living and active. So our prayer is that while we take a few moments to consider what we've just read, that your spirit would be with us, helping me, stirring in our hearts and lives, that you would transform us into what these words describe. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've started our study in James. We're still in chapter 1. We begin a unit, a subunit of sorts in verse 2. And, and now finally here in verse 18, we will round out this first unit of consideration. What we've been considering, what James has been teaching us, what God is saying to us pertains to trials that unfold in our lives. And, and each increment along the way from verse 2 now through verse 18, James has been adding a bit more things for us to grasp and understand. He, he, has, uh, in, he has helped us to understand something of the purpose uh, that is conjoined to the trials that unfold in our lives. He has helped us to see the wisdom that God gives us to understand when trials break out in our lives. He has even given us some examples of the, 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 the spectrum of poverty and wealth and how each of those in their own way can be examples or illustrations of trials in our lives. He's, he's dealt with how easily trials can uh, succumb to temptations in our lives. And, and now here in this last segment of consideration concerning trials, he says something so precious to us. He wants to help us to grasp something of the goodness of God as we think about and consider and walk through and experience trials in our lives. Two things I want to consider this morning from these three verses. First of all, in verses 16 to 17, I'll just simply have us consider the goodness of God in general. 
the broader context of God's goodness and the good things that God does for us as his well-loved sons and daughters. And then verse 18 gives an explicit example uh, of a particular expression of his goodness to us. And so God's goodness in general, and then secondly, when we'll, we'll try to pick up and catch uh, about something of God's goodness in particular. James starts out here, uh, continuing the discussion of trials. He specifically gives a warning, a concern, a burden in, ver- in the first part of verse 16, do not be deceived my beloved brothers. James is concerned as he's addressing the subject matter of trials, as, as, as you and I walk through trials, he's concerned in burden. He, he knows us. He, he's concerned in burden that we might uh, 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 grab a hold of uh, some untrue deceptive things as we try to make sense of trials in our lives. It's it's never a good time to be deceived. And the scripture, our Lord knows us. He knows even um, of our uh, proneness toward deception. But it is especially true. It is especially the case that it is not good to be deceived in the midst of of trials. When you are struggling, when you are trying to get your mind around what is unfolding in my life, what is happening, where is God at? If there's ever a time we need the truth, and we always need the truth, but if there is uber time to need the truth, it is when we are walking through dark, difficult times, trials, suffering, hardship, difficulties. And so James alerts us. He, he's, he, he wants us to be especially warned as we're grappling with the experience of trials in our lives. Do not be deceived, my dear, my loved, bro- my beloved brothers and sisters. Why? Because, well, nothing, nothing can unfold on us quicker in a season of trial than questioning the goodness of God, the love of God. God, why would you let this happen to me? God, where are you at in this moment? (laughs) Nothing uh, fast tracks uh, us down the path of our trials becoming the occasions of temptations than when we begin to question the goodness and the love of God, when we lose sight of the goodness and love of God because these trials have seemingly eclipsed our sight of vision. And we're so prone to deception in general, but we're so prone to deception in the hard seasons of life. So do not be deceived my brothers. And then he makes this bold, beautiful, clear assertion about God. Verse 17, every good 
gift and every perfect gift is from above. It, it comes down to us from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Now, just by way of quick contrast, because I think, I think there's a, a bit of parallelism going on here. And uh, earlier, last week, we, we looked, for instance, in verse 13, uh, and verse 13 was emphatic in saying, the temptation to sin does not come from God above. It, 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 is, it is, God doesn't have it in him to either be tempted by sin or to tempt us to sin. He is incapable of of doing that it is why uh, because it's just it's just inconsistent with the very core nature of his being he is holy and perfect and good in every nook and cranny of his being and, and so god uh, sin and temptation never comes down from above james said it actually comes from within our own desires so it's just not in god to tempt us or to be tempted. It's not in his nature. And so now he flips that, and what he's introducing us to in verse 17, to be very crystal clear about this, it's not in him. He's incapable of tempting us or being tempted. Well, what, what is he capable of doing? So he positively explores something of God's nature, what is in him to do. And what is in him to do is to shower his sons and daughters with good and perfect gifts. In other words, God is incapable of giving to you and I anything other than that which he deems to be good and perfect. Now, I hope you're having a good day. I hope I haven't ruined it yet. I hope you're having a good week. I hope I haven't spoiled what was otherwise a good week. The reason I say I hope you're having a good day, I hope you're having a good week, is, is you and I, on these good days, we, we need to have firm convictions about. We need to have deep, settled appreciations for God's absolute goodness, which determines the pure beneficialness of what God does for us and what God gives to us and what God provides for us. In other words, we've got to get out in front of these things because if the bottom hasn't dropped out on you yet this week or on this day, it's not an occasion of, well, if you happen to have a trial every now and again, but, but as you have trials, when you have trials, and the roots of our hearts to weather the storms of life must be deeply planted in these convictions about and appreciations for God is good all the time. 
so that when the, we do go through the rough patches and the difficult moments in our lives, we have our hearts built and rooted and grounded in the notion uh, that God is a beautiful father to his children, and he only gives beautiful things to his children. It's all he knows to do. He is morally incapable of being anything other than good and thus giving us anything other than good things. Now, here's what I didn't say. I didn't say he gives you and I everything we tell him we want. I, here's another thing I didn't say. You think I'm running for Congress, all these little caveats here, don't you? But uh, here, <laughs> just, my legal team is advising me to say these things. But, uh, but, but here's an, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not even saying that God says, I don't know, Joe, what do you think is good for you? Because I don't have a clue. I'm waiting for you to inform me. Who can give counsel to the Lord And so, while he is incapable of being anything other than good, while he is incapable of, therefore, giving us anything other than that which is good, he and he alone defines the good gifts that he gives to us. And that sometimes is going to line up differently than our estimations and our understandings. But not only is he morally good, oh, he is infinitely wise. And so he alone knows out of the unlimited resources of his wisdom exactly the good we need. And he only does that all the time. So he defines what a good gift is. So for instance, the Apostle Paul, uh, one of the gifts that the Apostle Paul defines, well, I'll just let Paul say it because you wouldn't believe it if I told you this. But in Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, Paul writes to the church at Philippi and says, for it has been granted or gifted to you, it has been granted to you uh, that for the sake of Christ, in other words, this comes because of your relationship to Christ, it has been gifted or granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but suffer for his sake. Uh, he only gives good gifts. He's incapable of giving us anything other than a good gift. And yet in his goodness and his wisdom and in his power, he estimates that suffering is a part of his package of good gifts that he gives. Now, that's just not Paul going rogue uh, in an isolated passage of Scripture. Uh, listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. He says, but, but if when you do good and suffer 
for it. So this is not you suffering because you've got it coming to you. You, you messed up, you've done bad. But, but if when you do good and you suffer for it and you endure it, this is a gracious, this is a gifted thing. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. You're saying, Joe, you started out so good this morning. You said, God is good all the time, and he does nothing but get good gifts. And then as you waded through to, to the details, you just said trials and suffering are good gifts. <clears throat> do, do, you sometimes, do you sometimes struggle to make sense of that? I do. Yeah, I see that hand. I see that hand. I feel like a, a, I feel like an evangelist now. But, uh, well, and you and I are not the only oddballs. If you take even a casual reading through the Psalms, the Psalms speaks our language for us. It puts into words the uh, the the how our hearts can be flummoxed and confused and dazed and stunned over this reality that God is good and only gives good gifts. And I'm trying to make sense of this episode, this season, this event, this situation in my life. And how in the world does that qualify or classify as a good gift from a good father? Well, read the Psalms. David knows a thing or two about you and I and what percolates in our hearts in terms of the struggles to make sense of these things. God says, I know this is hard for you to grasp. And so I, the biggest book in the Bible I wrote is filled with the experiences of challenges of this. And yet what we gather and declare here from, from verse 17 is that there is no dark side to God. <laughs> There's no... Uh, mean bent to him. There's no evil side. And there is no instability with God. I think that's what he's trying to get at when he says, in, in whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In other words, uh, we never have to sing the little song about God. He loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. Uh, no, God is constant. In fact, we are so grateful that of all the things that are repeatedly declared for us in Scripture to grab a hold of and, and to cling to, and, and, and that is that our God is only good all the time, that his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness has no ending. Now, why does God keep on telling us things like that in his word? It's not because he's like trying to reach a certain word count and he's trying to fill up the empty space. It's kind of like, I had a desire for it being this many chapters and this many verses and I'm out of, I, I'm out of things to say. So I'll just keep, no, he he knows what we need. He knows that as we're trying to make sense out of his absolute goodness and his pure beneficialness of what he provides for us, sometimes that doesn't quite come together in a way that makes sense to us. And so he just keeps kindly driving home my steadfast love towards you. It never ceases. My faithfulness towards you has no expiration date.
Now, we need to know that all the time. But, but, but when James starts us off in verse 2, and he says, Count it all joy, my brother, and when you face trials of various kinds, count it all joy. We dealt with that weeks ago, and that some of us, our hearts are still reeling. How do you count it joy? Well, it, it comes down to the bookend of this subject matter here is that we have to have this awareness. We, we have to have this relationship with this God who is, who is only good all the time and who floods us with only good gifts and only perfect gifts. For on our own, we are not capable of understanding and sorting out the goodness of God on our own, particularly in the rough patches of our lives. Here's what you and I do. Well, maybe I should just speak for myself, but I'm just going to lump you together with me for a little bit, if you don't mind. You and I... First of all, we don't live and respond to merely what happens to us in life, but we live and respond based upon how we interpret what happens to us in life. And yet, and yet there's the rub, isn't it? How you and I grasp and understand and therefore interpret, what, what was that? We, we are prone to interpret our estimation of the goodness of God in light of our felt experiences of life. So, what that means, if you are at this moment, and I pray you are, but if you are at this moment experiencing good, that which is uh, pleasant, that which is easy, that which is comfortable, that which is sweet, if, if, that, if that is what you are experiencing and feeling, then, then you and I are deemed to say, God is good. But when the shoe is on the other foot, If we are experiencing bad, that which is hard, that which is difficult, that which is confusing, that which is disturbing. If you and I are experiencing bad at this moment, this season in our lives, and we are tempted, we, 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 in our feeble estimation, we deem that God is bad. At, at best, he is ignoring us. At worst, he has his arrows pointed to get us. But we must learn to live, not by our own feeble senses, not even by our own grasp of what makes sense to us, but we must live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The only accurate estimation of reality is the estimation of God's version of reality that he kindly reveals to us in his word, to which he says, 
Every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from above, from your Father of lights, in whom there is no variation due to uh, shadow or to change. You see, we must interpret who God is and what God is like, uh, what God is like uh, not in light of our experience, but we must, in fact, interpret our experience in light of what God has revealed to him, to, revealed to us from his word about who he is and about what he is like. Coming into a trial with a heart filled and with a robust grasp and an appreciation for God is good and he gives nothing but good gifts. Having that running into a trial resets how we might weather and walk through the storm of that trial. You see, the good things, the fact of the matter is, the, the good and loving things that God supplies is a part of a grander scheme that he's up to. God is, I don't mean this in a sarcastic way, but God is up to more than just making sure you're comfortable. That's why in so many ways, biblical Christianity is so incompatible with so many schools of psychological thought because so many schools of psychological thought are, are just simply committed to you feeling good about yourself and, and you having a sense of your own self-esteem and well-being and comfort. And yet, God's got a much more beautiful agenda than just simply you feeling good about looking at your navel. Now, it is with that in mind, God's grand overarching purpose that, that really begins to settle in on us and, and awaken us to understanding and worshiping and appreciating then when things do happen in our lives, that they are good because they do nothing but contribute to grand, God's grand overarching purposes in our lives and his grand overarching purpose in his life what brings him glory what he's purposing to doing doing for his glory is he wants to join you and I to his son Jesus and then in joining us to Jesus he wants to transform us into the image of Jesus which is really what Paul means when he says there in Romans 8, 28, God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That's what he's saying. All things work together for good. Good things work together for good. Uh, mediocre things work together for good. Uh, 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 rotten things work together for good. Even really, really, really heinous bad things work together for good. God wastes nothing. And so in that sense, everything that comes into our lives from his hand is a good and perfect gift because it is working toward the grand overall scheme and goal uh, that he has for our lives so that we would delight in his son Jesus and look more and more like his son Jesus. Well, I've got to go on. I think, it, I think I've said everything that I could think to say for now, well, probably not, but I'll just, point one's done. Point two, God's 
goodness in particular. Verse 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. The, 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 the arrangements and the commitments of the Father doing us good has been launched in our lives long before we were seeking him and trusting him and worshiping him and serving him. In a word, John says it this way, we love God because he first loved us. He actually loved us when we didn't love him. In other words, he's set into motion purposes of his goodness before we ever had any noble thought of him. He set his affections on you and I, not when he deemed that we were beautiful and lovely, but when we were gnarly and ugly, he set his affections on us that we might become beautiful and lovely. But that's his doing. And so he says, of his own will, he brought us forth. James, James is taking this broad thing he said in verses 16 through 17, and that is every good and perfect gift comes down from, from above, from the Father of lights. Uh, that's just everything. And he says, now let me give you just one example of this. It's not an ordinary example. I think it's probably the utmost example of this. James goes from God's good gift giving in general to the specific um, example, concrete example of God's good gift giving. And what he's, what he's really saying in verse 18 is that God has given us the gift of salvation in his son. God has, in other words, given us his son. And thus, in giving us his son, he saves us. Now, that's a big church word. And it's actually, for us church folk, it's an important word. He saves us. But sometimes we're not really specific on, well, what do you mean by that? You know, it's just kind of an in-house lingo we have. Uh, but, but actually, it's a really big word that, that it really contains a whole boatload of things. When God saves us in his son, when he brings us forth, and brings us in re into relationship with him by the word of truth, that means he redeems us from our bondage to sin. It means that he relieves from us our condemnation in sin. It means he rescues us from being citizens of the kingdom of darkness. It means he gives to us a new heart inclined toward him. It means he gives to us his own spirit that we might be now empowered and given wisdom to live for him. It means that he has adopted us into his family as his well-loved children. It means that he has ensured, guaranteed, that we now have a new destiny with him in his presence forever. There's a lot of things implied in the simple description of all the good gifts he does give to us, the chief of which is that he brings us forth to life. We who trust in Jesus have been saved 
through the life-imparting scriptures. For these life-imparting scriptures have pointed us to Jesus. And the Spirit of God has opened our eyes and our ears and, and, and taken out our heart of stone and given us a heart of flesh so that by the Word and by the Spirit, we are those who have been born again. In fact, Peter says it this way, for you have been born again. <laughs> and who of us borns our own self again? I know that's really cheesy English, but I never claimed to be an English master. But, but you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. And then he says in the next verse, and this is the this word is the good news that was preached to you God has willed you and I to live God has willed you and I to experience new life in his son Jesus God has willed to send Jesus to rescue people like you and I. In many cases, long before we even had the sense to know we needed to be rescued from anything. In fact, another parallel that percolates around in this passage is, you remember earlier in, um, in verse 15, for instance, talking about temptation. Temptation comes from our own desire. He says, and then des desire, when it, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. He, he, he's really using that same kind of metaphor or imagery of conception here. Whereas our own desires conceive and give birth to sin, resulting in death, it is the will of the Father. It is, it is, the, it is the Lord's gracious and merciful desire that conceives us and gives birth to our salvation that results in in our eternal life. God has done these things. It is by his will that we have been brought forth. One of the little sidebars of that is you and I, as we talked about in Sunday school class this morning, you and I are called to be witnesses. We're called to share things about Jesus. And, and one of the things that's most intimidating by that is you're like, well, gosh, I... Uh, I'm not very good at talking, and well, neither am I. I can see, but but and yes, I I I never be a good witness of talk Jesus to people. Well, as look here, as we share Christ, even with others, as we bumble and fumble our way through those conversations, know this, know this as we're feebly using the words we can to point people to Jesus, the wind of the Spirit blows where he wills, how he wills, and when he wills. God opens hearts. So as we're sharing Christ with people and we're thinking, I'm blowing this, this guy is going to think I'm a loser, and the guy says, I, I, I want to trust Jesus. You know, you do? Well, wow, 
I did that. No, you didn't do that. You were just the mouthpiece at the moment. The Spirit of God did that. <laughs> no, no, why? Well, or, or even, even the language of Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 uh, it, it, that roots our salvation in God's good will. Uh, 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 but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in our sins, made us alive together with Christ. In other words, on your own, you have an, enough ability to win someone to Jesus the same way you had the same ability to go down to Jefferson Barracks and start talking to those tombstones and telling those tombstones, the people in those graves, to come out of death into life. You say, I can't do that. Well, neither can you and I, on our own, convince someone of their need to trust in Jesus. But as you and I talk to them about Jesus, this is not too hard for the Spirit of God to do. That's why we don't have to play games and shenanigans. That's why we don't have to do silly tricks and, and have a laser light show. We could just show up and be old school and just faithfully preach Jesus. And we just wait for the Spirit of God to blow. Now, why does this verse give this particular example, though? Why, of all the good gifts that God gives to us, why does he didn't locate the concrete example as the gift of salvation? Of all the things, all the examples, and our life should be recognizably full of all kinds of things that we say God is good in his gift giving. Well, the Lord... The Lord's grand generosity, the Lord's greatest generosity is to be fully grasped in how he gave his one and only son. That is not just an example of God's goodness. It is the utmost example of God's goodness. You see, in giving us the gift of his son, he gives us everything else. Because now all that does belong to the Son now belongs to those who belong to the Son. He, he gives us the thing that our souls needed most. Oh, wouldn't it be a horrible tragedy if, if God gave you a new Cadillac this afternoon but left you dead in your sins? You can live without a Cadillac. That's not wrong. I mean, if you have one, that's fine. You can give me a ride sometime. But you can live without a Cadillac, but you can't live without our souls being renewed and brought to life by the gift of Jesus Christ. You and I, while we live, we don't live until we know Jesus. For Jesus gives life. 
life eternal, life lived in right relationship with the very God who made us. That is, it is only through Jesus that the just condemnation due to our sin has been abated from us because it was redirected to, upon Jesus himself who absorbed the justice of God in our place for us and for our salvation. And so therefore the greatest and most precious and the most beautiful thing that our good gift-giving God could give to us is his one and only son. That's why Paul would tag on to that in Romans 8 and say, he who did not spare his own son, Paul's going from greater to lesser here, he who did not spare uh, his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? If God gives you Jesus, he's... If I gave you this morning, I distributed uh, checkbooks for each of you. There was a million dollars loaded in each of those checking accounts. And so I, the, it's in the account, and here's a handful of checks. Uh, you all go on out of here and have a good day. Uh, but say one of you said, but Joe, I don't have a pen. And I was to fire off on you and go off on you because you're asking for a pin. Look, if I'm willing to give you, and I'm not, by the way, because I ain't got it to give. But I mean, so, Sorry to break your, your hopes here, but if I'm willing to give you a checkbook with, filled with checks, loaded with an account of a million dollars, and you ask for a pin, sure, you want to? And if, if, if God is graciously a good gift-giving God and gives us eternal life through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, then you know what his posture is towards you. You know what his heart is for you. You know that he will only do that which is good, and he will only give to you that which is good. So, Father, we thank you for Jesus which is the apex of your good, good gift-giving inclination towards your people. And Father, may this reality shape the way we think and feel and live before you. Whether it's a good day or whether it's a day fraught with trials, may we see your good hand in it all. And may we worship you. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing this.